Welcome to On to Waveland, presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. I am Brett Taylor, joined by Patrick Mooney and Sahadev Sharma. We're here to talk to you about the Cubs. Uh, we got this weird week going on right now where the Cubs have a two-game series buttressed by off days. So we had the off day on Monday, off day on Thursday, ultimately Maybe not the worst timing in the world for the Cubs, who are awfully banged up. Uh, although the games themselves didn't go very well, the Cubs dropped another couple uh, one-run affairs. So that's three straight one-run losses. And we'll get into some of the particulars on that front. Uh, but I, I gotta, I gotta bring this up at the top because I just, I feel like, in my sphere at least, the sort of baseball commentariat world, everybody for whatever reason is talking about the extra innings rule again. And we just saw it, obviously, the Wednesday uh, Cubs lost to the Indians. Extra innings, runner starts on second base for both teams. And uh, it's not new. Obviously, it was instituted for the pandemic season last year, uh, citing, you know, various pandemic-related reasons for it. And it had been started to work up the ladder in the minor leagues even before that. So this was kind of, I think, on the radar even before last year. And, um reactions around the league to it were generally positive so they decided to carry it over for this year and my personal or let me start with my sense of the reaction to it was pretty neutral I thought people were like oh okay it's really not that bad uh but the last week or two I've seen a re-explosion of people like really rebelling against it and I was curious one if you guys had uh or wanted to offer your thoughts on the rule maybe as it's evolved as you've watched it play out um, and two, if you had any thoughts on why there seems to be this res- resurgence of rebellion against the rule. Well, I'll, I'll start with the second part first. I, I think there's a resurgence because it's a full season. Last year, everyone was just like, let's just be happy we're getting baseball and, and didn't want to complain too much about uh, these these little changes. And I think a lot of them, a lot of people just thought it was a 60 game thing, right? The, the extra inning rule, the seven inning doubleheader rule wouldn't be uh, implemented going forward. Obviously, that's not the case. Uh, I, I think a, a lot of it is also... Uh, People are resistant to change. Fans are. And and in general, when your team is the one that suffers because of the new rule, uh, you get frustrated. I think that's easy as well. My personal opinion is this is a good rule. And I'll tell you why. It's I, I think people, uh, people are missing the fact that it's really exciting immediately in extra innings. It's a high leverage moment. Immediately the pitcher is is uh, tensed up and has to deliver. There's no, oh, I'm facing the bottom of the order. This is easy. No, there's a man on second right now. If you don't strike this first guy out, that could be an issue. It also emphasizes contact. If you have a guy that can't get, you know, do the little things and put the ball in play, if you have a guy that can't put down a bunt and strikes out instead, that's on you. That's on your team. That's on your roster construction. and, And that's a failure on your part. I think high leverage moments are a big deal as well. Like I said, I think, you know, when when uh, a man is on second, immediately there's something tense about that, right? The fans are into it. You're immediately like, okay, I'm not just a seven, eight, nine is up. I don't care. It's it's immediately a big moment. And I, I know some people say that's manufactured. It's not manufactured because it's really happening. That's there. Like the, it matters and the game is on the line 
and the pitchers are tensed up, the batters are tensed up, everyone knows the need, the job needs to get done. And I think there's more strategy involved. You have to think through it. Do you want to bunt that guy over to third and just play for one run? Do what do you want to do in the situation? What's the manager thinking? Do you want does he want to put a strikeout guy on the mound right there? Is it a mistake that David Ross had Keegan Thompson in there, right? Instead of a strikeout guy on the mound right away. Uh, th- those are the little things that, that you can think about as a manager and as a, a, a analyst to, to kind of like break it down. Is this, are these the right decisions being made? And, and I think it, I, I love it. I think it's a good part. If, I mean, if you're going to change rules, I'm fine with that as far as the rule changes go. I mean, this thing has already paid for itself by having Tony Larusa being read the rule book by our favorite <laughs> athletic White Sox writer, uh, James Fagan. But I mean, from just from that alone, like this has been worth it, like period. But uh, I thought Boog <laughs> and JD had a couple interesting thoughts yesterday. Of like, I think JD said he wouldn't hate it if they played the tenth inning straight up and then went to the runner on second rule. Um, and then I thought Book had a good point. Someone in baseball had told him, you know, if you look at, say, overtime in the NFL, they kick off or there's like a tip off in the NBA. Like what if you reset to the top of the lineup to make sure that your Mike Trout would get another at bat or, you know, a Chris Bryant, whoever it is, would get another chance uh, at the top. Like that sounded fine to me. But otherwise, I mean – there's been enough just like zeros put up this year and enough batters striking out that I really don't think we need like five more innings of that. Like every time we go to extra innings or uh, I think there is a cost to like pitchers and just how it just blows out a pitching staff for like the next series or two. And some guy has to wear it, you know, a guy who pitches really well, but he gets sent down to the minors because he has an option i think in terms of an overall health of the game and the quality of the entertainment product like i love the runner on second yeah i think you know for me i will admit that when it was first proposed at the minor league level pre-pandemic i was pretty aggressively opposed and i think probably it was that kind of lazy gut reaction of like oh my gosh this feels very artificial this isn't baseball, you know, da, 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 da. I mean, every new rule is going to feel like that. I think I've, I've kind of evolved a little bit uh, in, in the thinking generally about rules. And I do think you're right, Mooney. There isn't probably enough um, space given to the idea that while I think the typical game, like the median game right now is ending about the same time, uh, both in length and innings length, time length, innings length, as a a game pre-pandemic was. But the difference is you're not having those marathon ones where it becomes pretty interminable to follow and you risk injury for guys. And it just completely wrecks a staff. And uh, I do think it is worth knocking those games out. Um, and I think, too, you know, we probably... Um, we probably do under we're, – we're getting exposed maybe more than we thought we were going to because offense is so down and it has sort of exponentially gone down in terms of like these low-scoring affairs where uh, you're more likely to have an extra innings game that is low-scoring because like just both teams are being overwhelmed by late-inning pitching. And uh, had we not had this rule, 
I think you're probably right, Mooney. We probably would have seen a lot of really long, maybe not so enjoyable um, extra innings games. And we don't have to belabor it too much. But I, I'd, I I'd think... like to belabor one thing, if, if I could. Oh, please. Uh, please. When, when the Padres and Dodgers played uh, and, and they had like a 13 or 14 inning game, Twitter was like going crazy and like, see, we don't need shortened games. Look at how entertaining this is. This is so fun. Oh, oh, you're entertained by two of the most talented and exciting teams playing 14 innings? Wow. Wow. So weird. And maybe because of that man on second, it was more entertaining because every second of extra innings was high leverage. And if it was the Tigers versus, uh, I mean, who's another term? And the Pirates, would you have been as entertained by 14 in innings of baseball? No. So stop <laughs> screaming about how we don't need shorter games. Yes, I want more Padres and Dodgers on my screen. Of course I do. Those are two entertaining teams with a ton of talent. But don't use that as the example of why we need 15 inning games. Nobody wants to watch the Tigers for 15 innings. Nobody wants to watch the Pirates unless you're a fan of those teams. Some of those fans don't even want to watch it. So don't like I, I couldn't stand that like people saying see we don't need shorter games no we need more teams like the Dodgers and Padres is what we need not longer games so I mean it's just terrible arguments on that on that side of things I, it was driving me nuts I'm like yeah of course everyone likes watching the Dodgers and Padres they're the two of the most exciting teams baseball has had in a while when they're healthy and playing well he did have <laughs> I just want to say he did he did have some labor to get out there. He was right. He did want to be labor. There was that was that was that he was giving birth to that that argument. So that's good. Well done. Well, it's good, like, you know, memo to Theo territory here of just baseball needing to get over itself. Like this idea of like, you know, people have three to four hour blocks of time to like sit down and watch this stuff. Like I mean, maybe when the internet didn't exist and there was only like one other thing on TV, like and you know travel wasn't easy but like at this point now like people have like an endless array of distractions and options and so maybe you know make it a little easier and for them to like pay attention and be entertained and i think that's where the money is in the long run they just need to kind of like get there but this idea of you know baseball being this appointment thing 162 times a year for four hours at a time is just absurd like it's not how the world works anymore well, and just to button that up, I think the the challenge that we face as people who cover the sport and that I'll, I'll put myself in another category, too, of people who are hardcore fans of baseball where we aren't necessarily looking for less baseball. Well, but I recognize that I'm not the typical baseball observer. I'm not the typical baseball, uh, whether you want to call it a watcher or a fan. Um and I think sometimes we have difficulty, those of us who comment on these things and try to and engage in the discourse, I think we have a little difficulty sometimes separating ourselves from our roles to put ourselves into the shoes of like, who are the, you know, the, the middle 50% of baseball watchers and what are they looking for and what their lives look like and all these things and, and how much do we want to modify the game to courier to those fans at the risk of of the hardcore folks and that's a delicate balance and i think that's one that the sport is reckoning with now for a, a number of things that we've talked about the change in offense the change in pitching the rules that are being experimented with the minor leagues and so i don't think this type of conversation is going away anytime soon and so maybe it'll just be we'll have waves like this where we see 
uh, okay, today's uh, villain is the extra innings rule. And then, you know, the, the, the larger size bases, is that the only one that's safe? I feel like that's the one that who like who is going to pitch a fit who's going to rail against the, bases, the larger bases the larger <laughs> bases I, I would you know someone will i, I shouldn't say that because you know there will be some really oh larger that's un-american you can't have larger bases <laughs> where were those bases made uh so i guess we'll we'll cross that bridge when we get to it but i i've been curious by the way so they can put bigger ads on the bases brett that's why God, they're making bigger. nailed it you're that is that is some skilled uh, tapping into that the the rage that someone will find, like DraftKings at first base, and then some other betting company <laughs> at second base, and then you know whatever beer sponsor the Cubs have will be on third third base. So just get a gigantic ad on the field. Just I wish you hadn't even said people. it because now like the cynical part of my brain is like. Yes, they totally obvious shirts at home plate. <laughs> they will do that, and then we can talk about obvious shirts the this, whole time. This is home plate. You know, it will be the obvious shirts yeah. uh, advertisement. <laughs> uh, okay, so the, yeah, these conversations will continue. Uh, from where I sit, the vast majority of these rules changes, both at the big league level and the minor leagues, are at worst neutral. I just don't have a strong opinion, or I think they're they're on the right track. So let's leave that. Get a you know refocus back in on the Cubs. Like I said, they have dropped three in a row since that nice five-game winning streak. Um, all three were you know those coin flip games that we talk about a lot. Most one-run games are, um, and all three of these games, you know, with maybe the exception of that concluding game against the Pirates, where the Cubs um, kind of forced it there in the ninth, put up what a four spot or a three spot to try to come back from down four. Uh, those Indian games, Indians games could have gone the uh, the other way uh but the reality is in the span of just those three days the cubs went from just right there a stone's throw from first place in the central game over 500 you start thinking about okay what does this conversation look like in june if they can hold this together to suddenly it's like well back to two under back to five back okay we're sort of back on course for the conversations we thought we were going to be having and i i i <laughs> This is like meta on top of meta. I, I don't want to have the conversation that we've already had about how we're going to have the conversation <laughs> about what the is going to look like and all that. So I, I want to try to stay Cubs baseball for now focused. And so my question for you guys is, the, they during this three-game set, the Cubs were playing without Nico Horner, without Ian Happ, mostly without Chris Bryant, without Jake Marisnik, a lot without Javi Baez, with Jason Hayward playing through an injury, et cetera, et cetera. These, a lot of these guys are coming back now. Um, can we still see a better looking squad, you know, as soon as this weekend that, that maybe will continue what we were starting to see in that series against the Dodgers where the offense was sort of uh, coalescing nicely. Uh, we were, we're, and this, this continues too. We're starting to see Kyle Hendricks and Zach Davies reemerge as themselves. Uh, still loving lots of bright spots in the bullpen. Uh, Jake Arrieta comes back. He, he is, his only terrible outing this year was the one he tried to pitch through with the cut on his thumb. So I don't know. Like despite these three losses, don't you think there's? Couldn't you talk yourself into some optimism starting tomorrow on Friday against the Tigers? Yeah, I, I think that's pretty easy to talk yourself into optimism with what you just explained as far as the injuries go. I, I think if it's a healthy team, maybe you get that extra hit against. Uh, 
against Shane Bieber or just a ball in play against Shane Bieber with the bases loaded, right? I mean, that was the bottom of the order, if I'm remembering the game correctly, with no outs. And it just, it was Vargas strikeout, then Sogard double play. Those guys probably aren't playing if Nico and Hap and Marisnik don't get hurt. And Nico is, was like, seems like it was pretty much a, let's not risk this and put him on the IL situation, right? He's probably was healthy to play Tuesday and Wednesday, but I, I get why they put him on the IL. Uh, so, so you can, I, I see how that's a coin flip. You, you beat the reigning Cy Young winner, uh, a couple bloops that, that fell on Sunday. Don't fall. You're, you're talking about a six, seven game winning streak. It's a, it's a different, it's a completely different tenor, right? Around the team. I just think this is the team that they are right where we've talked about it for a while. This is, they're going to be up and down. I think they're going to, I think they'll probably beat up on the tigers this weekend. Uh, nationals, uh, you know, come into town, they can split with them or take three or four. I wouldn't be shocked about anything there. Right. I, I think they're an average team. Uh, they'll get better over the weekend when Nico comes back. Uh, I think he's a big upgrade uh, over playing uh, Sogard or Vargas daily. So, so I think, yeah, that helps them. I, I just don't, you know, I, I think uh, Boog made a great point on the broadcast. I love that we're, we're home more and, and can listen to the broadcasters and, and, and take from them. But, it, I mean, people talk say that good teams win one-run games. No, good teams pummel the opponent on, on a pretty regular basis. Uh, teams that, that uh, you know, may out... Uh, outperform their actual peripherals win one run games a lot that's it they, they get a little bit more lucky and and they they win a bunch of those one run games and then suddenly a team that we thought was like a 500 talent level is is 10 15 games over 500 so they they just aren't getting the breaks right now is is all i'm saying they're probably you know cleveland isn't a great team the cubs aren't a great team and this is this is what you saw two one run games played by decent teams that you know, I don't think are going anywhere this year as far as maybe one of them or both sneaks into the playoffs because they're just in weaker divisions and, and baseball's just weird this year and there's no great team. But, uh, you know, I think what we saw the past two days is is who those two teams are, two decent teams that aren't terrible but aren't going to go go anywhere special this year. Unless, you know, Cleveland starts adding a bunch of offensive players over the, the next the next few months because I, I don't see how that offense is is going to produce to to do anything uh on a consistent basis brett i had a meta question for you because it helps organize my thoughts out of that and, and i have both said this because we're always messaging each other all the time but to get your thoughts on this like helps us crystallize ideas was chris bryant getting pulled from one game and getting hit by a pitch was that too like hug watch ish for you like did you have pangs of like is this the end well so because i kind of i kind of saw those and were like whoa like what if this is it? well uh, so i can answer that in two ways at a at a purely observational level i knew early may he's not getting pulled for a trade like it's just not happening so i right yeah so no, you can yeah, dismiss yeah, that quickly but of course i did see people were people are going to do that but then you're right. You do sort of go through that moment of like, well, what is this going to be like if it's, you know, mid to late July and this happens? I, I think and I think the answer for both me and for most fans is going to be uh, 
an immediate wave of like um, just the the excitement, not happiness, but excitement endorphins that just flood your body of like, holy shit, holy shit, holy shit, holy shit. <laughs> and so you're just sort of like dealing with it. And then you you're, you will want to see what the trade return is. And you'll want to deconstruct all that. And of course it will be a lot of fringy young guys and it'd be like just a horrible <laughs> return. And, uh, and, and then there will be that period of denouement where people are um, just somber and disappointed and angry and reflective. Um, and I, 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 I don't know. It's going to be, I, I think it's more likely than not that we are going to have to deal with this this year. And um, yeah, maybe, you know, if Chris Bryant keeps getting pulled from games, he's, you know, he's two for two in the last two games of getting pulled early. Uh, <laughs> we'll get a lot more practice at like, oh, sudden disappearance, Chris Bryant. And, um, you know, uh, hopefully he's fine, by the way. You know, here's, here's, a, here's a thing that you hate to admit, but... You know, he, he leaves that game early on Tuesday and you're like, geez, I hope he's okay because um, he's been performing as well as anybody on the Cubs. And then a little part of you, I, I got to be honest, a little part of you is like, oi, and if things go sour for the team, you know, they, they want to be able to market him at the top of the market as a healthy guy. Comes back and boom, gets hit on the wrist by pitch. Same, same series of reactions. It's the, oh crap, hope he's okay because like they can't do shit without him. And then it's, oh, and also, if they continue to be this mediocre club, like, you want him to be healthy. You don't want to have to run into the same thing that they ran into this offseason. And, you know, if and when there were trade discussions, it's like, well, but you have to believe that Chris Bryant's going to be fine when he is healthy. Well, you don't want to be doing that in season. You know, if a guy's coming back from an injury, you, you cannot market a guy where you're like, well, but he's going to be fine probably. And then he'll probably perform for you for those two months. So you should pay us a super premium return. Um, and while the next two months of his performance, as it could or could not help the Cubs, and as we may or may not hope on an extension, are the primary consideration, I do think it is fair to be realistic and honest and be like, yeah, I think the Cubs are probably, every time something like that happens with Chris Bryant, they're holding their breath. Every time Craig Kimbrell doesn't take the ball for a day, they're probably holding their breath. Um, that's just the reality of what this team is this year. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure Jed, wherever he was watching that hit by pitch, was like, come on, are you serious right now? Uh, I, like, the guy gets one at bat, and that happens. Uh, I, I think, you know, from... Uh, everything that David Ross has said. Now, I don't want to just assume that him saying it's a bruise and it's no big deal, uh, that that, you know, something mm -hmm. isn't, you know, it's something doesn't happen over the next couple of days where it's like, oh, actually, it hurts a little bit more, right? We don't, we don't know uh, what's going on today with that wrist, but everything that he said, uh, that David Ross said after the game, and even before that, before he got hit, like, it sounded like Bryant was pretty sick. Like, he had a sinus stuff, uh, he quickly dismissed any talk about uh, COVID protocols and stuff like that. This is just like a, a series. Like he said, he was pretty blocked up and it was just like he couldn't sleep well. He didn't sleep well the night uh, before yesterday's game. So what's that Tuesday into Wednesday? Uh, so it, that's why he held him out of the lineup. He really wasn't like it, he genuinely seemed sick. Like they're not covering something up here. Uh, he just felt out of it and it wasn't wasn't going to be playing well uh, if he, if he's being put out there. And he also said he was pulling him if he if he got on bases either way, he was pinch running for him. 
He, uh, David Ross made that clear. So even though he got hit by a pitch, I, you know, obviously I understand the concern and I'm, I will be watching tomorrow's lineup coming out as well as I'm sure all the fans are, uh, just to make sure, but it doesn't sound like that's a big deal right now. So, so let's see if he can perform, but I, I agree. Like every moment is going to be hold your breath for this team because they, they need Chris Bryant and Craig Kimbrell to continue to perform like this. If they continue to perform it, like this isn't okay, right? Like I'd say Javier Baez has been okay since that terrible start. He's bounced back and he looks okay to good. You know, he's not elite Javier Baez, but Bryant has been elite and Craig Kimbrell has been elite. And that's kind of a best case scenario because those are the two most likely candidates to get traded at the deadline. If you know, with all things, uh, uh, all things considered for what this where this team is and what we were expecting uh i think that's that's a pretty significant uh turn of events as far as those guys being as good as they are and it's you know we'll see what they can get but i kind of agree with you as far as return for Bryant we're all going to be i mean fans are all going to be overwhelmed uh, underwhelmed we should uh, we should prepare them for that if they're not already one one piece of good news just yeah. came in that uh, the Cubs have been approved to host up to sixty percent of Wrigley Field capacity beginning uh, against the Reds on May twenty eighth. Oh well, how about that? You know, I think that um, we're seeing increasingly um, localities and states and cities evolving in their um, you know pandemic related health mandates as more people are getting vaccinated and frankly, sort of we're hitting a wall, a vaccine wall where I don't know how many more people we're going to be getting. And so these decisions have to be made. Um, and, you know, ML, at a major league baseball level, there's always been a hope that that uh, full capacity could return later this year at some point. And I imagine that's uh, still going to be the goal, June, July, those summer months. And so uh, certainly getting back to 60% capacity at Wrigley Field is a, a great step in that direction. I think That's we also it. know, generally speaking, outdoors is, uh, you know, among the safer things you can do. So I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's, uh, what's the word? I, I don't think I'm risking anything by saying that, yeah, I think it's good when people go outside and do stuff. So that, that seems like a like that's a lot, right? That's a, like twenty five k people. About is, am I right? That's that's going to be interesting. I mean, I, I mean, that's great. I, you know, like I'm excited to see fans again, and and it's been nice to hear them at the ballpark. Uh, but twenty five thousand people at, at Wrigley, that'll be nice. That'll be good to see, and hopefully everything's safe and kosher, and and we can just continue that way. And and in a month or two, we're we're hearing about a hundred percent capacity. That'd be great. Well, I mean, the reality is there was always going to be a line by which you kind of just have to make a decision, right? Because the way that this has evolved, it's like, okay, well, there's not going to be a perfectly obvious point at which, okay, everything is great and, and we go again. And um, it is, it, I do wonder what the magic of 60% is because I believe I saw that the um, uh, some other teams stepped up to 60% before 100%. I believe I saw earlier today too, the Brewers are going to return to 100% in um, mid-June, I believe they just made the announcement. And I know in Ohio, where I am, the the mandates are ending June 2nd, any capacity li limitation. So in theory, if MLB approves, the Indians and the Reds could go back to 100% in just three weeks. 
Um, so that's that's definitely going to be an interesting adjacent story to uh, this year for teams. And let's be honest, it's going to factor into those CBA negotiations that are coming. Uh, I believe that report also, well, while we're like stuff's breaking while we're recording, I believe a report from the New York Post just came out that the MLB Players Association has finally filed their grievance officially uh, about the shortened 2020 season, that negotiations weren't in good faith. And I mentioned that in the context of the upcoming CBA negotiations, because let's be honest, we're all adults. That's ultimately just a piece of leverage for those negotiations. It's worth about a half a billion dollars. And so I think we will find that that all hopefully gets resolved in one big piece. So let's, let's, let's wrap it. We, we meandered into some good stuff in this one. It's the, it's the off day magic guys. Tell you what we did it. I guess Tuesday wasn't an off day when we recorded, but it was like right after an off day. And, uh, you know, I know we can't plot this out every time we record, but, uh, there's just some about it when you don't have a fresh game that you're working through, we can just kind of, kind of groove, groove through some <laughs> topics and maybe only the three of us and Tim and see, Tim doesn't even enjoy our producer. He's like, Oh God, don't make me chop this thing up and try to turn it into a podcast about the Cubs, but it is a podcast about the Cubs. It is onto Waveland. You've got us here at The Athletic, and you can listen at The Athletic, but you can also get it wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you're rating, reviewing, subscribing, telling your friends. Uh, we love it. We appreciate it. We like to do this. And uh, I'm Brett Taylor. You can get my stuff at Bleacher Nation. That's Sahadev Sharma and Patrick Mooney. Get theirs at The Athletic. And we will be back at you uh, after this weekend. Take care.